0: If you would open your Bible to James chapter 1, if you don't have a copy with you today, there's one in the pew in front of you. If you'd like to follow along, we are coming into James chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. As you're finding your place, I would remind you that we are doing a study through the book of James for about 10 weeks. The overarching theme of the book of James is to draw near to God. It says in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Uh, throughout the book of James, James gives us many directives, and those directives direct us toward God. And so we are doing a series on how we can draw near to God through these different avenues. And today we are going to look at drawing near to God through the Word of God. James chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was." But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let's pray and ask God to be our teacher this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, giving you, offering to you our attention. Asking you, Lord, to be our instructor today, help us to come, Lord, with a sense of urgency and intimacy, knowing that when the Word speaks, that you speak. Father, I pray and ask that you would help me to be a faithful expositor and an accurate interpreter, and that I would say only those things which you intended to say. Help me not to add to or take away, but help me only to expound. Father, I pray and ask that you will use your word to draw us in nearer to you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This letter of James is possibly, most likely, the first installment of New Testament scripture. And so before we get right into this text, let me just give you some some, some background Uh, God's revelation is complete. We have all that God wants us to know here in the Bible. Uh, But God didn't drop it all down at one time in one unit wrapped in leather. He gave it progressively in installments. And so God revealed some to Adam and some to Abraham and some to Noah and some to Moses and Samuel and on down the line, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And as God revealed that to them and inspired them by the Holy Spirit, they wrote it down. The Old Testament was complete uh, some 500 years before Jesus came. It was canonized. It was recognized as Scripture. And then there is this 400-year period of silence... And then John the Baptist comes on this scene announcing that the Messiah is going to come. And Jesus comes and he is prolific in his preaching and his teaching, but he does not write anything down. God would later have his disciples write Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they were not the first writers Historically, it is believed that James was the very first one to put pen to paper under the inspiration of God and to write the very first installment of Scripture since the closing of the canon of the Old Testament. That's important to us because some of the things that James is saying is coming as a bridge from the Old Testament law into the New Testament grace. He sounds a lot like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He is very practical about certain things. You get into Paul's writings and you find Paul unfolding redemption and grace and soteriology and other subjects in a magnificent way uh, that James never delves into. It. It, it is written uh, by James, who would be one of the half-brothers of Jesus. After uh, Mary gave birth to Jesus, Mary and Joseph had other children. While there are some groups that deny that, it is plain in Scripture. It is called out in Mark and Luke that Jesus had brothers. And James is one of those. James is the pastor or the lead pastor of the church at Jerusalem at the time of this writing. We know this from Acts chapter 15. He is the head Head of the council, he writes the letter uh, to the Gentiles that he sends by Paul. He is recognized as the leader of the Church of Jerusalem. That's important because it it, it informs us as to the occasion of this writing. This letter is not written to a singular congregation. As you read your Bible, you will find that Paul wrote to specific congregations. He wrote to the Ephesians, and he was dealing with something that they were dealing with in their area, or the Colossians and the issue that they were having, or the Corinthians and the problems that were going on in their church. James is not addressing it to a single congregation, but he is addressing it to those who have been scattered abroad. Well, what is believed is that these ones that James is writing to that are scattered abroad were once members of his church at Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the first church and that's where all of it was happening and then the persecution comes in Acts 8 and Acts 11 and it says that they were scattered abroad in this diaspora and so James is writing to those ones that are scattered abroad as a pastor writing to members that he knows and loves. And so James is encouraging them to stay faithful to God and even draw nearer to God in their new normal. To draw a term from our modern vocabulary. These people are living in a new normal. They were once in Jerusalem. Now they've been dispersed. They are making their way of life somewhere else. Things have been turned topsy-turvy. And there is a tendency for that to paralyze the spiritual journey. And so James is saying, brothers and sisters, I want you to stay faithful to the Lord. I want you to learn how to draw near to God in your new normal And that's one of the reasons why this book is so applicable to us today. We're living in a new normal. We're doing things and talking about things that we weren't a year and a half ago, and uh, we have had such an overload of information. Have you just even considered the massive amount of information you have taken in over the last 14 months? I mean, all the data that came in about the coronavirus and COVID-19 and tracking and cases and communication and all of that, and then with the elections and all the political cycles that were running round around, I'm telling you, you and I have been inundated with a new normal, and one of the side effects of that, I am afraid, is that it, it kind of has stunned us for a moment in our journey with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that there's been a crisis of faith or a collapse of faith. I'm not saying that you're wavering back and forth about God. I'm just saying that you and I have been so distracted and focused on so many other things, it has been very easy for us to neglect the most important thing, which is our relationship with the Lord. And so the pastoral counsel from James in this section of Scripture is on the Word of God. James is so very practical. He began his letter by talking about persecutions because that was their reality. Trials, tribulations. And he says, let me tell you something. You can either draw near to God in that trial or you can be drawn away from God in that trial. It's all depending on where you position yourself. The pressure will either push you towards the arms of the Lord or it will press you away from the arms of the Lord. And now he comes to this avenue of Scripture. Do you realize that the Word of God is one of the most direct avenues we can take in our journey to draw near to God? It's one of the most direct avenues because it comes directly from God and it leads us directly back to God. Hang with me for a minute, okay? Let me build this for just a moment. God uses some indirect ways to draw us near. This, this temptation that James talked about in the beginning of the chapter, that was an indirect way, right? Because James says, Make no mistake, God does not tempt with either evil, neither can he be tempted with evil. Well, I'm getting temptations. Those temptations are coming from somewhere. If they're not coming from God, where are they coming from? They're coming from the tempter. But God, in his sovereignty, is able to take and use those temptations and that tempter to draw us closer to himself. He did it with Job and the devil. He did it with Joseph and the brethren. And so that's an indirect way in which we can draw near to God. We can walk around the barn before we go into the building, right? But the Word of God is a direct avenue. There's a couple of these that you will find. It comes directly from God. It goes directly to God. Prayer is a direct avenue to God. And so James is writing to them and he is wanting them to take this expressway in their journey to God. And if you're saying, hey, I need something to kickstart my My journey with the Lord again, I mean, it has been a long winter already. It has been dragging me down. I don't feel like I'm as near to God as I want to be. Then take the counsel of Pastor James and let's get into the Word of God and let's get on that avenue, that expressway that's going to draw us in closer to Him. However, James makes it painfully clear. That it is not just in owning a copy of the Word of God or having a copy of His letter that brings you near. It is not just in looking at it and being somewhat familiar with it. You know where the Bible chapbooks are. That's great. You can find your way in the Bible when the preacher says it. You know how to find verses and all that. That's well and good. But that alone won't draw you nearer to God. James even goes as far as saying, hey, just sitting under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and hearing the Word of God will not automatically draw you closer to God. Some of us have become professional hearers. And we know how to come in and we know how to sit and we know how to be still and we know how to look like we're listening. James says there is one other step that must be taken. You've got to be doers of the Word. You say, I want to draw near to God. I've got the avenue in which I draw near to God. But the on-ramp is that I've got to take what I hear and I've got to start doing it. I've got to be a doer of the word. And so James unfolds a three-part directive like a road map that will lead us closer to God. Listen, I she's uh, doing the children's church this morning and uh and so I can talk about her as long as you don't tell her. Uh when we we got married a long time ago. Now, she doesn't look that old I uh, I hear all the time, but but she looks like she's married to this old guy. Anyway, we got married a long time ago, and when we first got married, we, we didn't live near our homes. And so we would be traveling back to Oklahoma, or we were going to Colorado, or back to West Virginia. And back in those days, we didn't have GPS stuff. And we didn't have smartphones where you can just, you know, talk to it, and it talks back to you and tells you where to go. You, you had to have a map. And in those maps, there was an art. I think you could take a college class on how to fold them. I never did. I could unfold them, but I never could get them folded back right. And if you unfolded them all the way, you wouldn't be able to see the road at all because it would cover the entire windshield. And so when you're trying to find your way and plan your stops and figure out where you're going to stop and eat lunch, and you would have to unfold that map. And sometimes you'd get one part of the section and you say, well, where do we go after, after Louisville? Well, I don't know. I've got to unfold another. Paul, okay, there it is. We take route 65 onto 70 and we would unfold it. Well, think of it in that way that James is talking about this one central subject. It is drawing near through the Word of God, but he is unfolding it a section at a time for you and I to see. The 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 first section is the reception of the word. We find that in verse 21 when he says, Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive the engrafted word. The main verb in this sentence is receive. This is the main verb. Now, I'm from West Virginia. I'm not big on grammar, but you've got to figure out what the main idea of this is so that we get it right. Now, the main verb is receive. That's the hinge that everything is swinging on. There are some things that precede receiving and there are some things that proceed from receiving. But the main action is in the Receiving. That word receive means to welcome in. It means to take by the hand, to embrace, and to bring in and make feel welcome. it's kind of, like, uh, kind of like when my brother shows up at, at my house. I've got one brother, and if he shows up at my house and knocks on the door, when I open the door, oh, hey, John, good to see you. Come on in, man. And we hug each other, and we come in and sit down. We start talking. He's welcome guest in my house. I want him to feel welcome. But, you know, not everybody is welcome to come through my front door. Oh, this is where it gets good, right? The preacher's going to talk about who he doesn't like. I'll tell you who it is cats we have two cats at my house I I didn't want them but being preacher we show up we get called to Cedar Bluff and somebody shows up at the church thinking the preacher needs a cat I swear to you we never went looking for a cat the cats came to us and so they bring this precious little kid look at it we found it in a barn it's so sickly it's gonna die it needs a good home like y'all have up there on the hill <laughs> and i said we don't need a cat and melissa says oh but honey look at that cat and then she calls the children over kids look at this oh isn't she so playful? and so they take a vote and i get outvoted and we get a cat and i tolerate having a cat and then sometime later somebody else brought a cat to our house our cat had kittens, and we just, we just knew that this was the one for you, and we, we brought it up here to you. And again, they get my wife on the hook. I'm saying, we don't need a cat. We've got a cat. Take that cat home. We don't care about that cat. No. Look at the cat. He's a cute cat. The first cat was black. This one's white. We've got to have a white Kids, Look at this cat. Isn't he a great cat? They outvote me again. Well, now we've got a dog. <laughs> to get to my illustration, we let the dog out, we let the dog in. The dog is an inside dog. He doesn't shed. The cats are not inside cats, at least in my opinion. They are not inside cats. In their opinion, the house is where they are supposed to be. And so they are like what God described in Genesis chapter 4 about sin crouching at the door ready to jump on you. That's how they stand at the door of the house. And they know that we're going to let that dog back in. They're not happy about it. And so if we open up the door to let the dog in, the cat comes in. Well, I've discovered a new technique of opening the door to something that is not welcome. I go. And I lead with my foot. That is not a welcoming sign to the cat. And if he gets by the foot, mm, I pin him against the cabinet until I can grab him and ask, you, they're cats, you won't hurt them. Why? They're not welcome. God says through James that we are to receive the word. Throw the door open, grab it by the hand, wrap it in your arms, and make it a welcome guest in your life. You're not supposed to be trying to hold the Word of God at bay and keep it back from infiltrating too much of your life and rearranging the furniture in your house. He says, receive the engrafted Word. But in order to receive the Word, we've got to let go of some things. We've got to lay some stuff apart. Remember, it's the main action verb, but there was something that preceded it. He says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Man, I just like the way that sounds. I'm a word geek. And uh, so even if you don't know what to mean, you say, that, that's, a, that's a powerful phrase. I mean, what's he talking about? Superfluity of naughtiness. Well, that word superfluity means to overflow from abundance. It means something that is just oozing out and flowing out from the primary content or the dominant content in one's life. Uh, James is assuming that these good brothers and sisters, as he calls them 15 times in his letter, these people that he believes are born again and saved and have Jesus living inside of them, also are covered up in filthiness and overflowing with naughtiness. Sounds like a pastor. just kidding what is he saying there he is saying he is reminding them that we have this this carnal nature that ever abides with us and that even though that we got saved and our soul was regenerated our flesh was not and it lusts to sin as he recently reminded us and that, that sin that we held on to for so long before we got saved has a tendency to stick around in our life if we make it welcome and we don't put it out. You see, he says that it is this superfluity, it's this abundance. Like Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh if you and I are holding on to sinful habits, if you and I are justifying these proclivities of the flesh, they are going to become obstacles to receiving the word of God into our lives. But then he tells us how to receive the word. He says, receive the word with meekness, with meekness. That's Important modifier for the verb meekness means a gentle disposition. But it's not just demure. It's not just somebody who's just kind and gentle-hearted. Meekness actually carries with it the connotation of a gentle disposition that is under submission, that is under the control or authority of another. And so he says, here's how you receive the word. First, you lay aside what you've been holding on to that's going to block it. And then you swing the door wide open and you invite it in. And you invite it in not as subservient to you. Well, let me see what the Bible says today. Yeah, I might do that. I don't agree with that. I like this guy, but not that guy. No, yes, no, yes, no. That's not how we receive the word. We receive it with meekness. That is, it comes in and we recognize you're the authority. You're the boss. You have control over me. I welcome you into my life because I need somebody to tell me what to do. And that person I need is God. And He has told me what to do in His Word. It is a recognition of the divine origin, authority, and power of the Word of God. You understand that the Word of God is different from any other word on planet Earth. It's different than the daily newspaper. It's different than the monthly magazine. It is different from the textbook. It is different from uh, the research documents that we have. It is different from all of that. It is set apart because it is the Word of God. It originated with God in heaven. It carries with it the authority of God. And it has power to do something that no other word can do. If you would, hold your place there and look back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with me. The Apostle Paul described the right reception of the Word by the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Understand this, everybody who is saved has received the Word. If you have not received the Word in which James is describing it, you are not saved. You're not saved. And so when the Bible is being written, it's written to people who have received the Word. At least the New Testament is. And so the Apostle Paul is writing back to some people who have gotten saved. They've received the Word. And in his letter, he, he, he praises them. He is thankful to God for them, for the way that they received the Word. So it's, it's a model for you and I. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, For this cause. Also, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe." Hey, that's how we're supposed to receive the Word of God. We're supposed to recognize that the Word of God is different than the Word of man. It's different than any other written document in the world. That we are supposed to receive it as it is in truth or in reality. It is the Word of God. And we invite it into our life because it has authority and it has power to change those who receive it. But James is not done. He says, lay aside all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, And receive the engrafted word with meekness. The engrafted word—that is interesting. The only place where the word of God is referred to as being engrafted is right here in James. The only other place that that word is used is in uh, Romans uh, chapter uh, 11 when God is talking about how that Gentiles have been grafted in as a wild olive branch into the, uh, the, the domestic olive tree of Israel. And that's how that we become recipients of the promises of the covenant. And so why does James call it the engrafted word? Well, two things. It speaks to its alien origins. You see, if it's grafted in, it means it didn't originate here. It came from somewhere else. This word that he is describing that we are to receive didn't originate with us or even with mankind. It originated with God. But the other aspect of it being the engrafted word is that that engrafted word is not just carried with it is actually implanted in. And so when somebody receives the word of the gospel, God penetrates their heart and he grafts in his saving word so that even though it didn't originate within us, it originated with God, it can take root within us and it can produce the fruit that God embedded in it. And James says it's able to save your souls dynamite power dunamis power it is able to rescue your soul i ask you what other word can save you what other word can save you that's the reception of the word that's where it all begins we can't just become to this book as a good moral manual and say, you know, I want to learn how to live a good life. I want to learn how to be a good neighbor. I want to learn how to have clean living and righteous living. I'm just going to use this as my guide. No, it's not going to work. You're not, you're not going to draw near to God. It begins with the reception of the word of the gospel welcoming it into your life, allowing it to have the authority over your life, allowing God to plant it deep in your heart and to produce the fruit of godliness in your life. Number two is the reaction to the Word. Back in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, James continues the subject, he continues the thought, but he links it with a contrasting conjunction, but... But be you doers of the word and not hearers only. Okay, we're still talking about the word, James. I got you. He uses that contrasting conjunction to show show that there's a continuation of thought. Yes, I'm still continuing this thought about the word. But the contrast tells us it's going to take a turn in a different direction. What James says is just because you've received the word doesn't guarantee that you react to the word the way that you're supposed to. What God wants from us as reactors is to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Now, we have to hear it before we can do it, but He doesn't want us just to disconnect the hearing from the doing. And notice He puts the responsibility on the individual, but be ye doers of the Word. You can't look around and say, my neighbor needs this. You can't be sitting here thinking, my sister-in-law needs to hear. It. Well, that, you know, that gossip down the you know, road there needs to hear. No, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. God says to you and to me personally, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Why would God say such a mean thing like that through James? I don't know if I like this James guy. He's not as much grace as Paul is. I, I read one time, I heard there was a conflict between him and Paul, and I don't know about that. Why does he say that? Because you and I have a tendency to do that. Because that's a hazard of the Christian life that just because we're regenerated and we're saved doesn't guarantee that we react to the Word of God the way that we're supposed to. Our flesh is a sly enemy that lives among us and while it did not get saved, it'll go along to get along with as little impact as it can suffer. And so since your flesh knows that it can't unsave you, It tries to make compromises. All right, all right, all right. We'll go to church. I'll let you get up this morning. I'll let you feel well enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go in there and sit. We'll listen. We might even pay attention this time. I don't know. Depends on how I'm feeling today, what the preacher says. But when it comes to taking what you hear and doing it, that's when your flesh says, whoa, hold on a minute. Come on now. I mean, that's radical stuff. Look, can't you just be happy? I mean, you're, you're, you, you're going to church. You're reading the Bible. For goodness sakes, you're hearing the Word every time that preacher up there is preaching. I mean, you go Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. You even turn in, tune in on Facebook sometimes. Look, you're hearing the Word. You're doing a lot more than other people are doing. Look, you're a good Christian. Why? Because the flesh doesn't want you to be a doer of the Word. That makes the flesh uncomfortable. But do you understand that it is in that place outside of our comfort zone that we begin to draw nearer to God? If we stay just in the hearing region, we're just in a holding pattern. And we are not drawing near as God wants us to draw near. It's not rocket science. You know one of the things I love about James? He's not not, uh, speaking high platitudes. He's not theoretical. He's not speaking thesis and antithesis and hypothesis. He's just plain spoken, isn't he? But be you doers of the word. What's God want me to do? He wants you to do what he said. That's why he gave you the word. Why do you think he inspired holy men of old to write it down? Why do you think he had them write it in their native tongue? And then why do you think he had people translate it into your native tongue? Why do you think that he had the printing press uh, develop and mass-produce this so that we can have copies of it? Why do you think that he's done all that? Because he wants you and I to do what he has said, plainly, simple. That's the reaction that God's looking for. Nothing less. Just do it. Because the danger is, is that if we just hear it and we don't do it, we can deceive ourselves. Our flesh is so good at saying, you're, you're, you're a good Christian. You're doing everything God wants you. You're trying You know, you can't be super Christian. Hey, you know what? Don't feel bad about that. No, the Bible says, be you doers of the word, not hearers only. Which brings us to the third part of this roadmap, and that's the reflection of the word. James goes from this simple statement, this practical statement of being doers of the word, not hearers only, into this, this elaborated illustration of a man and a mirror Looking at himself in the reflection. Verse 23 For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man. He was. What does that mean? What's James talking about? That the guy who only hears the word doesn't do it. It's like a guy looks in a mirror, but then he leaves and he forgets what he looks like. What's he got? Alzheimer's or something? I mean, what's he mean? He forgets what he looks like. Well, we dig in a little bit into the language that is used here. Of course, looking in a glass is just a reflective glass, a looking glass, a polished piece of metal or a dark glass that you could see your reflection in. So it is a mirror. And he's saying the person that's a here is like a person who looks into the mirror and they see their reflection as it actually is. But when they stop looking in the mirror and they leave, they, they forget some of the things that they saw. You know, the mirror is not always our friend, is it? I mean, that thing shows up wrinkles and freckles and things that we don't like about ourselves. And I know some people that, you know, don't have mirrors in their house. They just don't want to. See the reflection. I know sometimes that, you know, you might be uh, out somewhere walking in front of a plate glass and you catch a reflection of yourself and you see you're all slumped over and your posture is bad. You're like, oh, I need to straighten that up and have better posture. And then next thing you know, you're back into the old routine. That's kind of the idea that James is saying here, but it goes a little deeper than that. Beholding his natural face. In a glass. Somebody's calling. Beholding his natural face in a glass. Why does he put that modifier in there? Well, you know, we got to go back to what that Greek word is, natural face. It's a Greek word that you already know. It's the name of the first book of the Bible. Genesis. Beholding his Genesis face in a mirror. Oh, that's interesting. The only other place that's used is in the title of Genesis. What is James saying here? He is saying that when you and I are hearers of the Word, the Word of God is like a mirror and it reflects what we are with all of our our deficiencies. And when we look into the mirror of the Word, it reminds us, hey, I am a Genesis man, I am a Genesis woman, in fact, I'm a Genesis 3 man or a Genesis 3 woman. That is, Adam and Eve sinned. Sin came into the world. Sin deformed every uh, every progeny from Adam and Eve so that every one of us is born with this Genesis face, this sinful character. And when I look into the word and I hear the word and the preacher preaches the word, sometimes I get convicted and I say, that's right, preacher. That's what I am. I need to do better. I'm not loving my neighbor the way I'm supposed to. I'm not forgiving my enemies the way I'm supposed to. forgive. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then the preaching time's over and you walk out of the church and you say, I'm all right. I don't need to worry about any of that stuff. I'll do better next time. That's the idea there. He contrasts that with the man who who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Perfect law of liberty. Let's start there. Remember James is the first installment bridging from the Old Testament to the New Testament. All of James's teaching and learning has been under the Torah. It's been under the Old Testament Scriptures. It's been the law. Do this. Don't do that. But Jesus came. And the very first message that Jesus preached was, The law said, but I say. Well, you've heard it in old time, but I say. And Jesus says, Look, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so when James says the perfect law of liberty, he is is using all of his theological knowledge that he has to understand that Jesus didn't come to replace the law, but Jesus completed the law. And in Jesus, it is no longer a law of death or penalty. It is a law of life. It is a perfect law of liberty that sets me free. So he's talking about looking at Scripture in its totality. So I look into the perfect law of liberty. But that word look is different than the first word look. The first word look is just to, to catch yourself in the mirror, to look at yourself in a, in a, in a slow gaze, slight gaze. This one is to, to, it actually means to stoop down, to stoop down, to bow forward and to look into. Right? When you get old, you have to do that. See, that's why this is what keeps me at this distance from my Bible. If I don't have these, then I've got to go, What's that say? And so the idea is that we look into the mirror of the Word. But I love that it is a word that means to stoop down. Because so I think that's part of the key. We can't just look at the Word with our chest puffed out saying, I, I'm, I'm good and I'm getting better, God. What can you add to me today? It is me coming to it remembering I've got a Genesis face. And I've got sin in places I didn't know that I had sin. And I I really need to bow down to that mirror and allow it to do its full examination on me. But you know what's amazing about this? Now, in real life, this doesn't work. You can stare at the mirror for hours and it won't make you any more handsome, Brian. But God's Word, continuing in it, will have have a... a profound effect on our life. It will actually cause us to begin to reflect His image. When we look into the Word and we continue in the Word as doers of the Word, then all of a sudden it has this transformative power in its life that instead of seeing our Genesis face, all of a sudden we begin to see the likeness of Christ, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 from glory to glory, beholding his image, we are changed into his image. And what James is driving at, here we're bringing it home, what James is driving at is that that avenue of hearing and doing the word is what will bring you nearer to God. Let, let, me, let me put the ribbon on top of this. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James and his brothers once came to see Jesus during his ministry when Jesus was in a crowded house. At this point in time, there's not an indication that James and his brothers are faithful followers or believers of Jesus, but they're blood kin, man. I mean, they got the same mama, the close people. And it says in Luke chapter 8 that they came to him, his mother, his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. Oh, wait a minute. They take precedent. These are the people that you were born and raised with. This is family. These are the closest people on earth to you. I mean, if they can't get at you, we're going to let you know so that you can part the crowd and let them get nearer to you. Do you know what Jesus said? James was there. When Jesus said, my mother and my brethren, who are my mother and my brethren? My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. You know, now that you mention it, James didn't say anything about being Jesus' brother. You know, he didn't make any claim to being close to God because he was born as a brother to Jesus. You know, really, the only thing he, he said was that he was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because James understood that his Familial ties, his bloodline, did not make him nearer to Jesus. It was in hearing and doing the word of God that got him nearer to him. And James takes this profound truth and he shares it with the rest of us who were not born into the same physical family of Jesus. But we were born again into the spiritual family of Jesus. And our nearness to God is not dependent upon our birth order. It is dependent upon what we do with the word of God. So let me be James for you in closing. That sounds good, preacher. Made me laugh once. It was interesting, kept my attention. Let's go eat lunch. No, no, no. If that's that's what you're doing, you've missed the whole point. We've got to start over again. Be you doers of the word. Be you doers of the word. God already told you what he wants you to do. Right? Didn't he say things like love your neighbor as yourself? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If anybody trespasses against you, forgive them. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Pray without ceasing. Didn't God already tell us to do some stuff in his word? You already heard that, didn't you? You heard it. All right, then here's here's how we apply this. You go out from here this week and you do something God already said to do that you didn't do last week. And you take a step in God's direction. And you draw nearer to Him. And so, listen, make no mistake about it. The reward, the blessing is in the doing of the Word, not in the hearing of it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for your word. I am guilty. I am one of the guilty ones that James addresses. I have deceived myself more times than I can count because I was a hearer of the word but not a doer of the word. Father, I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word again today. I pray that we would not just go away having our ears scratched and our fancies tickled and having a little bit of intellectual fodder to muse upon this week. But I pray, Lord, that we would just do something that you've already told us to do that we've been neglecting to do. Maybe there's someone here who has some hard feelings, some bitterness towards someone else, and they need to forgive. I pray that they would do that. Father, maybe there's someone here today who needs to share the gospel, and they've not done that, and you've given the opportunity. I pray that they would do that. Maybe there's someone here today who's not been reading their Bible. I pray that they would do that. I just pray and ask that you would help us to be doers of the word, that you would make clear to each of us what it is you want us to do from your word, something we've already heard. Lord, may we step out by faith and do it this week. And as we do, may we find ourselves rewarded in our nearness to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.